Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Well, everywhere I've gone in the last week, everybody that I've spoken to is afraid. You have a whole bunch of people afraid that these new COVID variants could lead to more people getting sick, being hospitalized, and maybe even more people dying, especially where I live in the New York area. New Yorkers remember what it was like in the spring of 2020, and nobody's that eager to revisit that. Then you have a whole other segment of society and a lot of the people that I've interacted with who are terrified, not necessarily of the virus, but they're terrified that they may cancel in-person schooling and they may have to worry about how to get child care for their children. They're worried about having to wear a mask all the time. They're worried about things like vaccine mandates. Well, how serious are these fears and how concerned should we all be? about what we're seeing in terms of COVID upticks and what we're hearing about the potential COVID variants. I am thrilled to be able to have a gentleman on the show who was integral in the fight against COVID. He was at one point referred to as the COVID testing czar. He is the former assistant secretary for health and the and a WHO board member, a former admiral in the U.S. Public Health Service Commissioned Corps and the author of the new book, Memoir of a Pandemic, Fighting COVID from the Front Lines to the White House. Very pleased to welcome to the program Dr. Brett Giroir. Now, Dr. Giroir, do I call you doctor or admiral? Uh, you could call me whatever you want. My friends call me Brett, and we're all just fine here. I'm so happy to be on your show. Thank you for having me. My, the pleasure is all mine. I've been a big admirer of your work for a long time, and I, I want to pick your brain on a little bit of what we're hearing now with respect to COVID, but just to give people a little bit of context of what exactly your role was at the height of this pandemic, What and I know that you cover this at length in the book, Memoir of a Pandemic, what were you responsible for at the height of the pandemic, March of 2020 or thereabouts? So at March, in March of 2020, I was uh, uh, put in charge of testing for the U.S. because the typical federal bureaucracies were having some problem getting that rolled out. So I was put in charge of that. And I was on the White House Coronavirus Task Force meeting with the president, the vice president every day. And you probably saw me on media, you know, most nights trying to transmit that to the public. At the same time, I was, you know, in charge of the Public Health Service Commission Corps which is the uniform service that was deployed all over the world uh, to Japan, to Wuhan, uh, to all the hotspots uh, to take care of people in great need, including the great hospital ships, uh, the Javits Center, et cetera. So I was right in the thick of things uh, starting in January, but at the White House level uh, in March. What made you want to write this book, Memoir of a Pandemic? What are you hoping that people learn from it or take away from it? So it's a really good question, and thank you for asking that. So in mid-2021, I was getting very frustrated 
because people who were not involved, who had no primary knowledge, uh, were writing books and being on TV and really rewriting history. Um, and, 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 and that bothered me so, you know, to the core because, you know, we did many things right in the Trump administration, but we have so many things to learn. And unless you're honest and upfront and, and explain to people what happened, you're never going to get better the next time. So I really wrote this to try to get from my perspective, you know, in the situation room every day on the front lines, what really happened and what we could learn from it. And, and, and secondly, I, I wanted to tell stories of real American heroes, people who showed up, you know, very young people, people from the community, mm-hmm. some people from government who played just an enormous role in our response that if you just get with the politics, you know, it's all about politics and politicians, but it didn't really highlight the tremendous Americans who contributed to our response. And I wanted to highlight them and celebrate them. Let me ask you about some of the controversial aspects, or at least controversial in some quarters of the pandemic and the government's response to the pandemic. And then uh, we can go into what's happening these days and where you see things going uh, prospectively. I don't think there's a an issue that engenders more passionate debate among politicians, among callers to talk radio, among my neighbors than the the vaccine issue. From your perspective, was the vaccine or the development of the vaccines helpful in stopping the spread of the virus? So from my perspective, and I think a I I think an indisputable scientific perspective is that the vaccines were remarkably beneficial to keep vulnerable people out of the hospital and from dying. Um, That was the primary purpose. We know that vaccines don't necessarily keep you from getting a disease, doesn't necessarily keep you from transmitting the disease, but in terms of saving lives and severe illness, the vaccines were enormously helpful. That being said, uh, in our administration, we would have never mandated vaccines. These were new vaccines, new technology. Um, We wanted to inform the public as much as possible so that the American people could make their own decisions. But there, in my opinion, and I think it's pretty much indisputable for those who are vulnerable, chronically ill and at risk, the vaccines were enormously life-saving and done in record time with safety and efficacy that was beyond our expectations. It's interesting that you you mentioned the work of the Trump administration. President Trump and his administration frequently get criticized for their handling of the pandemic. I view their Operation Warp Speed, for instance, and as you pointed out, the record development of the vaccine as an incredible accomplishment of the Trump administration. It's something, quite frankly, I wish he'd talk about a lot more these days. Do you think the Trump administration gets a bum rap with their handling of, uh, of COVID? Well, of course. Uh, there's no question about that. I mean, uh, the politicization of the response has been beyond all science, reason, expectations. Um, and and you, you see things that, uh, look, I'm not trying to get over, overtly political here, but the Biden administration clearly likes to rewrite history, that all the problems were due to the Trump administration, 
and they are claiming all the successes of the Trump administration as their own successes, particularly Operation Warp Speed. Um, you know, um, their big goal was to do 100 million shots within the first 100 days. On the day President Biden was inaugurated, uh, 1.6 million shots were in the arms of Americans, exceeding by 60 percent his goal for the next 100 days. So there is no question that the Trump administration, me, all my colleagues, um, were trapped in the politicization of this. Look, we made mistakes because it was an unknown virus. The Chinese covered up that the virus was out for three months. We did not know the transmission. We had no vaccines and medications, uh, tests. But, you know, we learned and we learned very quickly. And I think, you know, clearly we have things to be learned. We could have done things better. But overall, the response was pretty remarkable and it was remarkable because we involved the private sector very early and did not rely on the government bureaucracies, which were clearly failing by February and March and needed to get out of the typical government paradigm. Going back to the vaccine situation for a moment. And by the way, if people are just tuning in. We're talking with uh, Dr. Brett Giroir. He's the author of the book Memoir of a Pandemic, Fighting COVID from the Front Lines to the White House, former assistant secretary for health and a former admiral in the U.S. Public Health Service Commission Corps. Were the unvaccinated a threat to the vaccinated, as we, we heard pretty directly or at least impli- implicitly when local government officials, national public health officials were urging people to get vaccinated, even if they were healthy, because they may be a threat to a loved one, a friend, a co-worker around them. Uh, from your understanding of the science, were the unvaccinated a threat to the vaccinated? So let me nuance this just a little bit. So. There were those who were unvaccinated and who had never been infected with COVID. And there were those who were unvaccinated and had been infected with COVID. So clearly, and the science is overwhelmingly positive, that people who were unvaccinated but had been, vac- but had been uh, infected with COVID were much more protected than just the generally vaccinated. So natural immunity was very positive. So if you had been infected, even if you were unvaccinated, you were no risk, minimal risk. I mean, very infinitesimally minimal risk to the general public. So the whole narrative that the unvaccinated were the risk is totally wrong if you had already had COVID. And by mid-2021, most Americans have had COVID. Now, if you were unvaccinated and you had never had COVID, which represents a very small minority of Americans by mid-2021, sure, you could spread the disease. But we had tremendous countermeasures by that time. If you were at risk, you know, you could wear a high uh, filtration mask. You could be vaccinated yourself. You can get uh, things like Paxlovid if you got uh, if you got the virus. So. Um, even those who were unvaccinated and never had COVID were minimal risk to those who could protect themselves by many other ways. But the big issue in the whole system was, you know, losing your job if you'd not been vaccinated. 
uh, getting kicked out of the military if you'd not been vaccinated, because it was clear very early that if you had COVID, it was much better than a vaccination. One of the other controversial issues, obviously, is masks. There are places that are now that these covid variants are ramping up. There are places that are implementing mask mandates and a lot of other places that are issuing mask recommendations. Headline in the New York Times yesterday. Should you wear a mask again? What to know during the summer surge? Headline in Newsweek yesterday. Mask mandates return. Full list of places with restrictions in place. As far as you're concerned, I mean, there seems to be, and one of the reasons I was eager to have you on is this issue has just become so politicized, and I'm eager to have you on to kind of depoliticize it to some extent. There seems to be a whole bunch of people that think masks are a panacea for any sort of infectious disease you can imagine, and a whole bunch of other people that believe masks are not only communism, but will cause you to choke on your own carbon dioxide and uh, just have all sorts of deleterious health effects because of the masks. Where do you come down on the efficacy of masks in general and the mask mandate specifically? So, look, thank you so much for that very informed question. Let me start on the one hand that, you know, masks are not going to choke you. Yes, your CO2, carbon dioxide goes up a tiny bit. But, you know, that is not really an issue. On the other hand, um, mask mandates, I think the data are pretty clear. Mask mandates as an overall public health measure do not work, period, full stop. That does not mean that my 89-year-old mother who's a cancer survivor, if she goes on a plane, I would not put a high filtration mask like an N95 on her. Because on an individual level, they can provide some protection. So it's a little bit, you know, paradoxical, but on the whole public health, very clear evidence that mask mandates or even mask wearing doesn't, you know, help on the overall level but on an individual level, if you're at risk, it, it could really help. So if your listeners are at high risk and, you know, they're going to a high risk situation, they could they should consider that. Now, let me just put a, a punctuation mark here because masks in schools have never been shown to be effective. Uh, we are the only country that I know of that recommend masks for people under six. Uh, in fact, the WHO doesn't allow it. it. It argues against it because, you know, you can't see, you can't learn to interpret language, you can't interpret emotions. So masks for people under six should be absolutely, it's like the devil's work. It's really that bad in terms of development. Six to 12-year-olds, only if that person really feels that they're really needed and they're and they're at high risk. So I just want to draw that distinction between masks for people who are at high risk elderly versus the under 12 year old. And I'm not French here. This is pretty much what the data show us now. Mandates don't work for select populations. Please wear it if you're at high risk for children. Doesn't uh, not positive 
and very detrimental for under six. Well, let me also ask you then about outdoor use. I remember walking outside in uh, May or June of 2020 with a friend of mine, and I was unmasked, and someone shouted to me for thir- about 30 feet away that I should be wearing a mask, and then they listed the number of people around the world that had died of COVID, as if me walking around outside without a mask was going to be contributing to the problem. You talked about the efficacy of masks for children and for at-risk populations. What about outdoor mask use? Is that necessary? Crazy. Okay, crazy. And look, I shared the same experience. You know, I walk to HHS every morning, you know, in my operational dress uniform with four stars on, and I didn't wear a mask walking outdoors. This was in the masking time. My wife and I walked together, and people yelled and chastised me. It's like, I can't give you COVID from 45 feet away as you're driving through a car. (laughs) So that's, you know, that's really insane. And, you know, I see it today. You know, we live in a college town, and fortunately, I live in a very sane college town. But I still see kids on their scooters with a mask on when it's 105 degrees going 30 miles an hour on a scooter but not wearing a helmet, right? (laughs) So, you you know, people have to just get a clue, right? It's all about assessing risk. And outdoors, you know, what, what many states and cities did to close parks, tennis, you know, tennis courts, pickleball courts, hiking trails uh, was absolutely, you know, insane. And it was lunacy to try to impose these kinds of restrictions. And we're seeing everything, right? Um, You know, 37% of Americans gain 25 pounds or more. We have a epidemic of suicide, substance use, missed cancer screening. So, you know, there is a consequence for all this overreaction. And again, back to the baseline, if you're at high-risk individual, I look at my mother, 89 years old, cancer survivor, you know, in remission, you know, if she goes on a plane, I'm going to have her wear an N95 mask. If she's, you know, going to the doctor's office or in the car with Mm -hmm. me, no, we're not doing that. But, you know, a normal healthy person who's been vaccinated or who's had COVID, who's had COVID and vaccinations, you know, sure, you're going to get COVID again. Get over it. It's like getting the cold. But you're going to be protected from severe hospitalizations, death, all the all the problems for that. So, you know, we're going to have to live with COVID. It's going to be with us for the foreseeable future. Uh, but we could manage that with all the advantages we have with natural immunity, vaccine immunity, and the antiviral drugs, which work across all strains. How about the booster? Should someone listening to this program now who either has had COVID or gotten all their shots up to this date, but is in in general healthy and middle aged without any sort of preconditions that uh, people warn us about? Should they be running out to the drugstore to get the latest booster when it's available? So, look, it, it is, you know, Really a great question. The The issue is that the booster was designed for the variant that has been circulation, uh, has been in circulation XB 1.5, but it's not going to be the variant that's in circulation likely when people get the booster. So there, you know, I'm sorry to say this, but there are just no data mm-hmm. to show that the booster is going to help at all with the new variants that go around. Now, on the flip side, 
um, it's very unlikely that the booster is going to cause harm. You know, unless you're an under 30-year-old male where the risk of myocarditis and things really kind of raise up, um, if you're not in that group, it's probably not going to cause harm. So I'm sorry to say that there is no clear scientific data, but there's no clear scientific data. Um, again, not to personalize this, but I think your readers will, your listeners will understand this. You know, my 89-year-old mother, I'm going to make sure she gets the booster because the risk of getting the vaccine is very low to her. But if it gives her a little bit extra boost, that's great. But, you know, for my grandchildren who are young children, there's no way they need to get the booster because they have natural immunity. And Mm -hmm. probably I won't probably I won't get it either. And certainly my wife won't, who's much healthier than I am. So I'm just trying to be transparent. No, I appreciate that. We we don't you know, but the booster is designed for last year's model. Got it. Got it. Designed for this year's model. Uh, If people are just tuning in, we're talking with Dr. Brett Giroir. You could check out his book, Memoir of a Pandemic. It's available on Amazon and wherever uh, books are sold. The uh, spelling of Giroir is G-I-R-O-I-R if you're searching on Amazon. All right. Let me ask you about these uh, latest variants. Some people are very concerned. Canada has detected their first case of the highly mutated coronavirus b- variant BA 2.86. I've uh, seen headlines in uh, all the papers saying that this new COVID variant Parola is different than what the uh, original recipe of uh, COVID was. What exactly is this variant? What are we dealing with here as best you can tell? So it is a variant that is highly mutated from the current variant that's rolling around and highly mutated from the vaccine strain that we're getting the booster for. We don't know. We we really don't know at this point whether uh, pre-existing immunity will be fine against this variant. We don't know whether the COVID booster will work against this variant. But it's not like a doomsday scenario, right? These viruses are going to mutate from time to time. But uh, again, I would love to be definitive, but I think I think we get in, into problems in this country by being definitive. Like, you must do this, you must do that. This is going to be terrible. We just don't know. It is emerging. So the warning signs are it is highly mutated from the current strain that's circulating and the current strain that is vaccinated against in the booster. So that is true. I think it's about 36 mutations, but we don't know whether those are particularly important, whether it'll cause worse disease. And and the bottom line is immunity is pretty strong. So your immune system is built to deal with variability. So, um, you know, odds on the immunity that we have are going to be very potent against this current strain coming. But, you know, we have to watch and see because we, we you know, it's just emerging and we don't have all the data. And, and again, I'm not fringe left, fringe right. This is kind of, you know, the middle of the road science. And I'm trying to be very transparent about what we know. No, I, I appreciate that. It doesn't sound at this moment anyway, like you think people should be panicked and you're not exactly panicked. Oh, no, not at all. Don't be panicked because there are going to be variants. This is, this is what we're going to live with from year to year. You know, uh, SARS-CoV-2, the coronavirus, 
can mutate in a lot of ways. This is one. And, um, you know, again, you know, there's antibody immunity, not to get too geeky here uh, late at night, but there's the antibody immunity. But uh, underneath that are T-cell immunity, which is the cell immunity that goes and kills these viruses and the cells infected. And that T-cell immunity is very broad and very flexible. So, uh, uh, you know, odds on very high likelihood that the T-cell immunity that we've all learned over the past years will be very effective against this variant. But, you know, can't say for sure because we just don't have the data. So I'd love to say definitively go do this or not, but I'm just trying to give you the information as best as we have. Admiral, I appreciate the uh, the straight talk and uh, the wisdom from somebody that uh, was on the front lines of this fight at its most scary time. Dr. Brett Gerois, I hope people check out Memoir of a Pandemic. I hope you'll come back again soon. I enjoyed the conversation very much. Absolutely. Great questions. Good information for the listeners and Happy to support your show. Thank you. If you want to comment on any portion of our conversation, you could give me a call, 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead.